the difference it makes when we see the greatness and the glory of God. It makes grace sweet. It makes the gospel sweet. And oftentimes, all we need to do is see how sweet the gospel tastes to us to understand whether or not we have a right view of God. Because when we see God as He is, we see ourselves as we are, fallen and broken in desperate need of grace. And that grace is so sweet when it is given and when it is received. And that grace, it, it changes us and it makes demands of us. As a matter of fact, there are expectations that come along with it. And, and hope, hope is realistic about God's expectations. And expectations are crucial. So often, what we will accomplish or not accomplish, it really depends on the expectations that, that exist. Generally speaking, if expectations are high, uh, typically we will do a lot if expectations are low. Typically, we will do very little. We see this in academics and athletics. In, in academics, if a teacher has a high expectations, doesn't mean that all the students will necessarily meet those expectations or, or, or get to that point to which the teacher is driving them. But, but so often, because the expectations are high, students will often seek to work harder because of them. I know that was true for me. I, I have had many professors over the years, uh, but there was one who pushed me and, and caused me to push myself harder than any other, and that was my Greek professor in college. And, and we met the first class. There was a full class of students. The last class, after three years, there were four of us left. And I will never forget this first statement in the class. He said, look, I know some of you guys are procrastinators, and you think that, you know, you can kind of hem and haul around for the next several weeks, and that when we get to the final, that you can cram it in a week. And maybe you can, but he said, here's the fact. You can pay me now, or you can pay me later. But one way or another, you're going to pay me. And what he meant by that is, you can study throughout, and you can you can pay the, the price that will require be required of you in order to know this material, or you can wait in the end and barely get by, but either way you're going to pay. That led me to be up for three years, almost every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, at 5 o'clock in the morning at Perkins, drinking coffee and eating a blueberry muffin because it only cost me $1.75. A dollar for the coffee, 75 cents for the muffin, and for two hours I would pour over Greek in preparation for a, a class that, that was that was killer. You see this not only in academics, you see it in athletics. You see you see what happens with a coaching staff or a team uh, based on what, what a coach expects. If a coach expects kids to throw tempers and, and curse and, and be bad sports, that's what typically will happen. Uh, so assistant coaches will cheat. There will be all kinds of issues that, that are there. If a coach has high expectations, doesn't mean there's not going to be some language. doesn't mean they're not going to be some challenge. doesn't mean that they're not going to have problems with their coaching staff, but they will be clear that there are problems. There will be a statement of this is not what we do, this is not how we do it. So when there's an expectation, there's, there's typically an effort that is met to, to, to that's lived out to meet that expectation. You see it in parenting. You see it in parenting. You see, you see parents make excuses for their children. Oh, he's just, he's just tired. Is he tired all the time? You know, it's, it's just, I mean, because it just seems like, you know, I, you know, I appreciate the parents when they're passing off their child to the supervision of another parent who says, treat mine like you treat yours. And the child hears that and says, uh-oh. Uh-oh, because this parent is serious and we are going to have to toe the line. Expectations have had huge implications 
for us. And we need to understand, God has grace-driven expectations for His children. God has high expectations of us because of the gospel. See, the gospel frees us to pursue and recover God's design. Because of all that God has done for us, His expectations are huge. We, we understand the gospel around here. We understand the reality that God's design is that we live a holy life filled with love. But because of sin, there's now brokenness in our life. And, and I don't know what level of brokenness you bring into this room this morning, but we all bring some level. For those of us who've been redeemed by grace... Yes, our sin is forgiven, but we still have the battle of the flesh and the world and the devil. And so we're still dealing with brokenness from our sin. And so we have to repent and believe the gospel. We have to believe that the power of God in the coming of Christ to pay for our sin, the power of God to overcome the grave, that that power now enables us and it releases us and it frees us to recover and pursue God's design. What is God's design? holiness and love. And when we understand that this is what God expects, that he, does, that he expects us to pursue and recover His design, and that this standard is the highest of all standards, it will lead us to pursue and recover what it is God has provided through the gospel for us to have. And we have to understand, God's expectations do not outmatch His gifts to us. What God expects of us comes as a result of what He has given to us. What has He given to us? Ephesians 1.3. It's so clear. It's, it's powerful. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing that exists in heaven has been given to the redeemed of God. The reason God has such high expectations of us it's because He has given us so much in Christ Jesus and that every spiritual blessing is available to us who believe. And so, understand, God's expectations, they are in direct proportion and in line with His gifts to us. Uh, again, Luke twelve forty eight. this is an important principle. Everyone to whom much has, was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much... They will demand the more. When you consider what God has given us in Christ, when you consider what God has given us in His spiritual blessings from heaven, we should not be surprised by the expectation of God. We should not be in any way caught off guard that God would have such high expectations for us, His children. They are gospel-driven, but they are real. God has given us everything necessary for us to, to meet His expectations. And one of the great expectations God has for us is that we live with hope. In any circumstance, God expects us to live with hope. And in our text today, we, we see why it is God expects us to live with hope in any and every circumstance. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, Take it out and turn with me now to 1 John chapter 4. If you didn't bring one, there's a one in the rack, pew right there in front of you. Take it, use it, take it home if you don't have one. Feel free to use your phone or other devices. But go with us now to 1 John chapter 4. This year is the year of hope. We're discovering what hope is, and we're walking verse by verse through 1 John. And today we come to 1 John 4, beginning in verse 13. Megan Ritchie is going to read for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. 
Again, we're in First John 4. We're going to begin in verse 13, and we're going to get all the way through verse 21, God willing. So, Megan, if you would read this for us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The word of God. Thank you, Megan. If you would, be seated. Understand God has high expectations of us. And hope, hope is realistic about God's expectation. And God expects us to have hope in any and every circumstance in life. And I know there are some today who would say, but you don't know my circumstance. You don't know what's happened to me. And you know what, you're right, I don't. But here's what I know. God is bigger. Please understand, everything is small in comparison to God, everything. There is nothing too big for Him. There is no sin He cannot overcome. There is no pain He cannot heal. There is no, there is no uh, burden that he cannot carry. There, there, there is no boundary that he can't break through. He is God. And everything is small to him. And because he is this great and mighty God, and because he has chosen to love us in his Son, we live with hope in every circumstance. And the scripture gives us reason as to why it is we can do that. Make note as we walk through this. God expects his children to have hope because we live in his spirit. Since by this we know that we abide in him because he has given us of his spirit. See, the, the spirit is the basis for every reason why we have hope. The Spirit of God is God's presence in our life for those of us who believe. And because we abide in God and God abides in us, we can have hope in any circumstances because of what the Spirit gives us. There are so many things that we could talk about this morning that the Spirit gives us. But because I'm doing the talking, let me tell you the three. The three that, that for me constantly give me hope in any and every circumstances. When I have doubts, and yes, I have doubts, and when I have fears, and yes, I have fears, the thing that, that I hold to most often in the promises of God are according to His Spirit of what, of what He has given us who is alive in us. And one of the things He's given us is power. He's given us power. 2 Timothy 1.7 is one of my favorites. For God gave us Spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And let me tell you how this works itself out in my life and in any life. This, this power is the truth. It's the truth of the resurrection. It's the truth of the cross. And there is a power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in the resurrection of Jesus. And that, that power not only saves us and gives us life, but it moves our heart so that our heart is moved and we're able to love. 
because God has done what He has done in His Son, we now know that God loves us. And because God loves us, we can't help but love Him. And our love is made manifest in how we live. So what happens is there's self-control. So many people get this back. Religious institutionalism gets this backwards. Religious institutionalism says, hey, it starts with self-control so that you can earn God's love, and then he'll give you some power. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Is that wrong? Wrong. Thank you. It's wrong. What does God do? He gives us the power of the truth of the gospel, and it changes our hearts so that we love, and it leads us to have self-control. This is the power of the Spirit. This is his power may manifest in our lives, and that's what gives us hope, and he gives us gifts. He gives, notice the word, first, first plural, we, gives us gifts. First uh, Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This gives me hope. See, here's what I know. I'm not a very talented guy. I get that. I know that. There's a few things I can do in life. I can read books. I can understand what they say. I can teach them to other people. And I can be enthusiastic and emotional. That's about all I got to offer. I'm a prophet. That's about what I do. I can't fix stuff. I can break stuff. If you need something broken, call me, all right? I can break stuff. I don't know how that's useful to you, but I can break things. I can't fix stuff. I can't understand technical jargon. I'm no good with music. I mean, it's just limited person here, but here's, here's the good news for me. I'm a part of a church family. And so I have gifts that I can bring to you, and here's what is such a comfort to me. You have gifts that you bring to me into this whole body. And so my hope is not in what I can do. My hope is in what God can do through us. And so where I am weak, many of you are strong. And where some of you are weak, I, I am strong. And where you and I are both weak, there's others in our body, our family of faith, that are strong. And so together, there is a hope because we have each other in Christ. And because we have Christ, we have the Spirit. And because we have the Spirit, we each have gifts. And these gifts are given for the strength of the, of the good, of the, of the whole body of believers. And here's one of the things that gives me hope. Listen, I'm a part of a family where God's love is shown in the way we care and share the life of Christ together. And listen, I can't find this anywhere else. I've been on ball teams. I, I, I've been a part of all kinds of things. There's nothing like the local church. There's nothing like a family of faith. And if you've not found one, if you're not a member of one, join this one. Join this one and be a part of what God is doing so that your hope can be kindled and your hope can be encouraged because the Spirit of God is at work in the manifestation of His gifts. And then third, joy and peace. God gives us joy and peace again in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. There is a joy and a peace in believing in Jesus and, and it fills us with hope. So that the power of the Holy Spirit may have, may abound, the Holy the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I was going to get it. I'm not a great reader, but I can get by, right? So that by the Spirit we can abound in hope. It's not because we're smart. It's not because we have stuff. It's not because other people say we're important. It's because the Spirit of God resides in us that we have peace and joy and our hope abounds. 
we, we have hope because of His Spirit, which gives us power, which manifests itself in love and self-control. We, we have peace and joy because of His presence. We have these gifts that are at work in our midst. And so we have hope in every circumstance. Second, God expects His children to have hope because we live in the Son. Not only do we live in the Spirit, we live in his son. See, Jesus has come to rescue us. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So those who confess Jesus experience God's presence, experience God in all of his glory. It's in the son, though. It's only in the son. And understanding Jesus Christ and who he is and what he has done is fundamental and foundational to having hope. We have written this for our our documents of faith here at Living Hope. This is what we believe about Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ, the one and only eternal Son of God, who while fully divine became a man that he might reveal God and redeem mankind. That he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. That he lived a sinless life and died a substitutionary death in order to serve as the one and only, look at that, one and only mediator between God and man. That he was buried and then physically resurrected from the grave and ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, where he remains as an intercessor. He's interceding for us, for his people, till that day in which he will return to judge the living and dead. And he will. That his judgment is final, resulting in those who are righteous in Christ, spending eternity with the Lord and the unredeemed spending eternity in hell. This is Jesus Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is God in flesh who came and died for our sins, who's conquered death through the resurrection, who is now our mediator. We can now come before the throne of grace with confidence because we come in the name of Jesus. And this Jesus is our Savior. To sum it up, Jesus is God. Jesus has now atoned for sin and defeated death. And now for all who believe, who confess Him, our lives are saved and we are changed. Understand, it's not just a mere statement of belief. It's not merely a mental thing. It's a confession that comes from the heart. It's a confession that changes your behavior. If you claim Christ but don't live like it, there's a problem. And I don't pretend to know what the all the problems are. I can I can tell you though, the symptom of unbelief is revealed in a sinful lifestyle that has no problem living a sinful lifestyle. See, if if Christ is Lord. Then, then that conviction will lead us to a behavior that is different from the rest of the world. Let me illustrate. I'm about to do something I've never done in my whole life. I'm about to go and march for a cause. I've never done this in my whole life. And I may never do it again. But here, let me tell you, I've got a conviction, according to God's Word, that life is sacred. And, and I believe, because of Psalm 139, verse 16, that life begins at conception. And so there's something that, that horrible that's happening in our country. There have been many wars that the U.S. has fought. But you can take all the casualties of all the wars that have ever fought, been fought by, by the U.S., and the war against the womb has killed more Americans than any other war. Now I'm going to go march for peace on January 21st and 23rd. And you're welcome to go with me. Bill Wade's going with me. And he says that I've got to bring money to get him out of jail. He thinks we're going to get arrested. But I, I'm sure I won't. He might. So we're going to do that. But 
you're welcome to go with us because we believe in the we believe in the sacred that life is sacred. And here's why we believe that because it's, it's from God, and God says it's sacred. And so to, to take that life is and here's the deal: if you're if you're a mom and if you've conceived, you are a mom, and you don't know what to do, come talk to us. We'll help you. Let that life live. And if you want to put that life up for adoption, then there are many people, moms and dads, uh, that would love to take that life and to raise it in love. And if you want to care for that life, we can help you. But if you find yourself in that position, call the being home. And here's the deal: if you have ever aborted a child, or if you've ever sponsored. We can help you here, but no. Call us. We've got folks who've gone through that who will walk you through. They are, they are trained, and they will walk you through this love. And this, this view of life, the sacredness of life, it's not just a conception. It's all the way through life. Every life matters. Every life is sacred, even the life that is old and sick. And that life is, is meant to be here until God chooses to bring it home. Every one of our days are written before any of them began. God knows what we will go through, and God will give us the strength to go through. And so that sick, dying old person is sacred. That sick, dying young person is sacred. And there is never a time when a life should be assisted to kill itself. Suicide is never the answer. It's never the answer. Life is sacred. Your life is sacred. Every life is sacred. And when God chooses to bring that life home, that's God's business. Until that time, it is our job to encourage us, to enable life. Now, there's a point, yes, and I don't understand all of the, the factors. Ethically, I understand there's a time when a machine keeps a person alive and there's really not life there. That's understandable. It's another thing altogether to say, we're going to use machines or we're going to use things to end a life. That's taking a life. That is, that is removing the sacredness. That is, that is ignoring it and going against God. Life is sacred, and because it's sacred, it changes my behavior. And my behavior is going to be one who says, you know, we got to speak out about this. We got to vote a certain way. We got to talk a certain way, and we must be loud because life is sacred to God, and so it is in the Christian life. Because the gospel is true, it changes the way we live. We live in the Spirit. We live in the Son, and we live in His security. We live in the security of the Father. God expects His children to have hope because we live in His security. Because Jesus gave His life for us, we can do that for others. We can lay down our lives for others. In the security of Jesus, we can serve others. We can we can give them our life. We can do what Jesus did. Mark 10, verse 43 through 45. What did Jesus say? But whoever would be great among you, you must be your, you must be uh, your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why can we serve? Because we're secure in Jesus. Show me a person who won't serve, and I'll show you an insecure person. A person who is secure in the love of God is glad to serve. Hey, you need me to you need me to clean a toilet? Great. Glad to serve. You need me to, to park a car? Great. I'll serve. You need me to stand up and say something? Great. I'll serve. You need to go somewhere and just be present, just to provide the ministry of presence? Great. I'll just go. I'll just be there. Oh, you need me to say something? I'll say something. But here's what we don't do. We don't ask ourselves, am I comfortable with it? That's not the question we ask. The question is, is there a need? And then we go meet it. I can guarantee you, Jesus did not say, hey, you know, I'll go and give my life for, as a ransom for many so long as I'm comfortable with it. So long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable, so long as 
I don't feel embarrassed. So long as I don't, I don't ever really have to, to, you know, really kind of put myself in a difficult position. How many of us say that to God when, when, a, when a need is, is made manifest to us? How many of us dare to use the filter of comfort when responding to the need of the call of God? Jesus didn't. Jesus said, I'll go. I'll serve. I'm glad. I'm glad to put myself out there. And so it is for us who are secure. We can serve others and we can love. We can love others. And by this is love perfected in us. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says something so powerful. For the love of Christ controls us. That's, that's, that's rich. It controls us because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, therefore all have died. Because God has loved us, we love others. And we have given up our old life of thinking only of ourselves. And now we give up our life so that we can think of others, so that we can serve them, so that we can love them. And, and, and so that we can live with assurance of our salvation, that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because we know Christ, we have no fear of the judgment of God. We look we look forward to judgment. I know that may sound strange to some of your ears, but listen, if you're secure and you're saved in Jesus Christ, judgment's going to be a great day because you're going to come before your Savior and you're going to be able to say like me and many others, Jesus, I've waited so long for my faith to become sight. I now can see the one who died for me. I can see the scarred hands. I can see the scar. I can see the wounded side. I can see the Savior. And whatever he has to say about what I've done and everything, that's okay with me. I'm going to be on my knees worshiping him and saying, Lord Jesus, whatever you say, whatever is best for all of eternity, I worship you. This, this is our God. This is his love. And, and there's a security in that moment. And so all of life, we live with the security, knowing that there's going to be a great day that we're going to meet our Savior. And, and then because of that, we have no fear. The text says there is no fear in love. We, we fear, we have no fear save for God. And because we fear God, we need not fear anything else. Please get that one. If you fear God, you need not fear anything or anybody else. David Landreth was a pastor at Long Hollow for years. He went to be with the Lord last year. He used to say this at, at pastor's gatherings. He said, I fear missing an opportunity to reach someone with the gospel more than I, the failure of trying. I, I've, I've made my own thing based on that. It says, I fear missing to get to join God in what he's doing to save a life more than I fear the criticism that comes from trying. See, I believe that God wants to save sinners. And so I fear missing out on the opportunity of joining God and seeing him do the miracle of saving sinners more than the fear I have of people being critical of us. So there are going to be times, and there have been times in the life of this church, when we sat in meetings and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And someone will chime in, well, you know, they're going to be critical. You know what they're going to say. They're going to argue the point, and, and they're, going to, they're going to be very critical. And you know what I say to that? I fear, I fear missing out on seeing God do a miracle more than I fear other people's criticism. I don't like criticism, so don't don't send emails, okay? All right? Oh, good. I didn't know he didn't mind criticism. Don't do it. Don't put it on Facebook. Don't. That's all. I'm not. I'm just saying that I fear missing the opportunity of joining God and what He's doing to save sinners more than I fear criticism. And, and when we fear God more than anything else, then our fear is rightly placed, and we have hope. Because God has a plan for everything that we're going through, and this grace it gives us security. 
there's, it's found in His Spirit. It's found in His Son. It's found in, in, in the Father's security. But, but it's also, God expects His children to have hope because we live out His love. Everything else is in Him. But when we live out what He's given to us, we love because He first loved us, then, then there's a whole difference. Well, here's, here's, a, here's a symptom you need to be aware of. If, if you're not walking in this love, you don't want to be with this people. Be mindful of that possible symptom that can come into your life. And, and most of the time, the reason the reason we don't want to be with God's people is either because there's sin in our own life or because we've been hurt and there's unresolved conflict. And the best thing you can do when there's sin in your life or unresolved conflict is come back to the people of God, the church, and repent or seek reconciliation to peacemaking. God has called us to be peacemakers. And those of you who've been around here for a while, you know these four parts of peacemaking. We're going to review them, and know we're going to review them again uh, going forward, uh, probably next year. Peacemaking begins by glorifying God and saying, God, you are the ultimate peacemaker. Second, we say, you know what? i got to get the log out of my eye. Oh, no. Listen, if there's conflict... If you have conflict, there's some degree to which you're responsible for it. You may only be one be responsible for 1% of the conflict, but you're 100% responsible for your 1%. And you got to get the log out of your... you got to say, okay, I've, I've blown it. you got to gently restore. you got to go gently and say, we've got to make this right. And then you got to go and be reconciled. you got to make peace. Now, look, those are easy to write down. Oh, that's so good. It's hard to do. And here's the deal. Some of you right now... You're in conflict and you don't know what to do. I've been there. I cannot tell you how many times I've blown it when it comes to conflict. That is why years ago we determined as a church to have a peacemaking ministry. So guys like me who from time to time get in conflict have other people who can coach us through it. Here's what I want you to know. If you will go to livinghopecares.org, there's a ministry there called the Ministry of Reconciliation. All you got to do is click on that, and, and you will get a response from one of our leaders. Maybe all you need is some advice. Maybe you just need to say, here's the situation. Could you advise me? You might need mediation. You might say, you know what? We have done all we can do in the Matthew 18 process. We need someone to step in. We have a ministry here that will help you do that. And, and when there is peace, let me tell you, there, there is a love for one another. And, and you know what? that love comes from, it comes from understanding how much God has loved us and how much he's forgiven us. See, forgiveness, forgiveness happens because God has forgiven us. If God has forgiven you of all your sin against an eternal God, how can you not forgive a finite person in your finite way of their finite sin? Jesus was once at a party with a group of Pharisees and this woman, who was said to be a sinner, walked in, and she was crying. And she began to wash the feet of our Lord with her tears and wipe his feet with her hair and, 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 and began to just worship him. And the Pharisees looked at Jesus, they looked at each other, and they began to judge. He said, look, this dude doesn't even know who this sinner's touching him. And so Jesus recognized and said, Simon, his host, to his host, Simon, you don't get it. And so this is what Jesus said. This is Luke 7. I think it's verse 47, yeah. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which for many are forgiven, for she loved much. 
but he who is forgiven little loves little. If you have little love for those who have hurt you, if you have little love for anyone, it's because you don't understand how much you've been loved and forgiven. And when you see the greatness of God, you will understand that because of sin. And when you understand that grace that redeems you and the forgiveness that you've been given, you will not withhold forgiveness, not another second. You will forgive and you will have this hope. The reason why some of you don't have hope today is because you're in conflict and because you're not choosing to love others the way God has loved you. You're not living out His love. But if we will live out that love, if we will live in His Spirit, if we will live in His Son, if we will live in this security, we will have it. And for some of you, that means today you need to ask for it. You need to repent and believe and say, Jesus, forgive me. Give me this peace. Give me this joy. Some of you are my brothers and sisters in Christ, but you don't have it. You don't have hope today. And it's because you don't understand how vast and great and mighty our God is. And what I want to encourage you today to do is to come and get on your knees and say, God, I think this thing in my life is bigger than you. Forgive me. I believe. Help my unbelief. And then ask him to overcome whatever it is. And if you need a miracle today, guess what? What is impossible with man is possible with God. And God can do far more than you can hope or imagine. But you must ask Will you humble yourself and ask him? He's willing. He's able. Ask him. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord God, I know there are some who are here that think to themselves, I have asked. And God, there's times when you when you say, yep, keep on asking. I have a plan for you persevering in prayer. Some who say, you know, I've lived with this fear and, and, and I've, I've kind of gotten used to it. Lord, I pray today that, that we would not fall into that low expectation of living, but that we would we would choose to seek out your great expectation that we live with hope. And that that hope comes from living in your spirit and your son in security and living out your love. So would you answer the prayers of some today who need a miracle? Some for their health, some for their, their own soul, some, some for a relationship or a situation that they're aware of. But God, would you right now, as, as Matt sings, would you would you lead us to come to you and to find in you what we need so that we can leave here with hope? I ask that this would happen now in Jesus' name.